Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's a warm welcome return to the book club for Luke Williams. Welcome back, Luke. Uh, thank you, Eamon. Thank you very much for having me again. No trouble at all. So we were just discussing it briefly. Your previous episodes, we did Nemesis, the Gothic Empire some Brian Talbot uh, wonders in that. We did the, obviously, Brian Talbot's magnum opus, as we described it, uh, Alice in Sunderland. Um, And you're back with another book and some different creators this time. But um, have you had the chance to get the the Luther Arkwright that Brian Talbot's done recently? Yes, it's in my reading pile next to the uh, next to the bed. It's a big uh, one, isn't it? (laughs) Increasing. Yeah, it's one of those things where you think you've got to clean up a week. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it. I I love Luther Arkwright. Like I love anything Brian Talbot does. So I'm looking forward to it. I just got to get around to reading it. That's all. Okay. <laughs> Finding the way and stuff. So let's get to today's book. Tell us about the interesting choice that you picked to come back on the book club with Luke. Well, today uh, we I've picked um, the Last American by uh, John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Mike or Mick Mike McMahon. Yes. So I have got the 2017 Rebellion soft uh, trade paperback version. Uh, as mm-hmm. you say, John Wagner, Alan Grant, Mac McMahon, uh, lettered by Phil Felix, edited by Nelson Yomtov, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was originally an epic miniseries from Marvel's epic imprint, four issues, 1990 to 1991. Now, you probably know more about this than me because there have been other collections of it between 91 and 2017, haven't there? Yeah, there's there's, there's been a... um, It's got a bit of a checkered history, actually. It's sort of... From what I understand, I remember um, when it came out, it seemed to sort of arrive and then disappear and... Um, I don't know whether it had that much of an impact then. But since then, apart from the Epic series, it was reprinted by uh, Com X. Um, there was that, I think they were a British company, aren't they? Yeah. Um, that's when uh, Rob Williams and Trevor Hersing really first came to prominence with things like Class War and, and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so it was produced as a, in a trade paperback collection by them in 2004. Um, I think you've, you've looked into. Um, that's that's a lovely little collection, that, because um, it's the same size as the original Epic series, uh, but it's got some really interesting pinups in the back. There's a, a very, um, it's, a, it's a gushing, uh, it's a gushing um, introduction by Garth Ennis, there's a gushing introduction by Dave Gibbons, and there's a, <laughs> there's a very peculiar uh, forward by... Uh, Mike McMahon, very entertaining call by Mike McMahon. Um, so there's that one. And then um, prior to that, though, just before, in the, in the sort of last few years of Marvel UK, before they um, sort of went a bit crazy and released all these American, uh, these comics to the American market, there was a reprint anthology called Meltdown, which was edited by uh, John Freeman. Guy oh, runs okay, Dunstan. yeah. And that, that was a great anthology. It was completely reprint, but it had things like Last American in it, Akira, so that would have been reprinted in Akira for many years, um, Light and Darkness War, John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Jim Bakey's version of Nightbreed, and uh, a really, I'm not sure if anybody remembers this, there was a really cool strip made called Cholian Fry Trap, which is like this sort of weird science fiction 
fantasy thing done by Arthur Suydam. But anyway, that that didn't last very long, sadly. Played a death uh, after about six issues, I think. Um, but then finally, it looks like um, Wagner Grant and McMahon um, got some sort of publishing deal with Rebellion. And they released a, a quite a grand edition, actually, in 2017, as I think you've, you've reminded me. Um, I've got a hardback version of that. So I've got I've got basically every version of Last American that you can get, I think. <laughs> right. Um, well and done. It's slightly oversized. Yeah. And it's slightly oversized. And uh, it's got a completely different introduction by Mike, Mike McMahon. But it came, the edition I had, I remember, came with a, a numbered um, print. That was the Webshot exclusive from 2018. Uh, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, to be fair, the, the extra size is great. I, I think personally they've got some of the scanning not quite right in it. I think the colour choices are a little bit dark occasionally, but it's, it's a lovely looking book. Um, so, yeah, that, I, th- I think that's all of them. I don't think there's any others unless I've uh, forgotten them. Okay. Well, we'll ask you. I'll ask you a little bit about the art and the colouring later on. Um, let's start with the sort of usual opening question as to why uh, this one for the book club. What was it particularly interesting about this one for you? Well, I remember this being advertised when I was but a teenager, and I bought a copy of Martial Law Five, I think, which is the I think is one of the first American comics I bought. And I bought it from the comic shop in Swansea, which is actually called the comics shop with an X and O-P-P-E and the end in Swansea, which is still there and where I still get my comics. And it sort of weeded me out a bit because I was already completely avid 2008 reader. And this, this is, this is a sort of a more somber, mature version of 2008 of that period. But it's a bit weird that all these guys who were working on Judge Dredd and Stunting Dog and people like that were, we're basically working for companies across the pond now. But Last American did come up for a few years after that. And I, I sort of assumed that I'd missed it. But I got the floppies. I think there's a really long gap between issues of three and four, but eventually got it. And it, it, it's just a great book. I basically, I think it's it's overlooked and, ever, and underrated. It's quite grim. It is leaving by um, Wagner and Grant's cold black humour, as you can imagine. And I, I think... It's one of the best things they've ever done. And certainly it's my favourite favorite Mike McMahon artwork. I mean, obviously, um, even by the... Well, we'll, we'll go into the synopsis in a second. But obviously it's sort of inspired and informed by the Cold War and the you know the threat of nuclear Armageddon that we also lived through in the early 80s. But when it was actually published, of course, we were sort of uh, coming out of that and Perestroika and Glasnost and everybody was friends, or at least for the next 30 years-ish. It certainly didn't glamorize nuclear war. Um, it, it, it's almost an A to Z of the apocalypse sometimes. Um, but, it, but, 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 but don't let that put you off. I mean, basically, it, it is a funny book, but a Grant and Wagner funny book. Um, so it's not sort of um, rib tickling, not, not that rib tickling, really. It's very bleak. Um, it's basically it's one of my favorite comics ever. Okay. Great. Well, that's a suitable topic to discuss. You've mentioned the grimness. You've hinted at nuclear war. Set it up for us. What is the synopsis of The Last American? Okay. On the orders of the U.S. president, disgraced U.S. Army officer Ulysses L. Pilgrim is placed in suspended animation 
on the eve of a global nuclear war. He's woken 20 years later, and his orders um, are to search for and rally whatever survivors there are of, I'm assuming there would be, um, any survivors there are in the post-Armageddon USA, and if, if necessary, organize resistance to any occupying forces. So basically, it's it, at the times, the Russians kick the Russians out if they're there. However, he's not on his own. He's got three robots to accompany him in the system. Abel, Baker, and Charlie. Abel and Baker are basically the strongest island types. Um, the muscle. Charlie, on the other hand, is the brains. And he's there to provide um, Ulysses, provide for Ulysses' mental welfare. And he's a bit on the quirky side. The, the, the very 2080 type robots. Um, and, but the four of them basically begin their mission across America. Obviously, being the last man alive begins to take its toll on Ulysses. Um, but Charlie has a plan for this eventuality and to keep him on mission by fair means, keep him on his mission by fair means or foul, to keep him sane for as long as he can. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's it's, it's fascinating stuff. Um, we'll talk perhaps a little bit about the 2080 robots uh, as we go along. We're gonna. I'm going to ask you about, particularly about Alan Grant. We're going to pause to just mention Alan in a moment. But if we just think about John and Alan as a partnership, and this period of their writing, when I th- I think it'd be fair to say that they were taking steps to break into the American market. Yeah. We've done their Outcast series they did for DC in 1987, 88. Obviously, from that, they went on to do Batman, or particularly Alan going on to do Batman for DC. Um, Oz in the prog was 1987, 1988, I think, and that sort of marked the end of the Wagner Grant writing partnership. Now, this comes out 1991, but as I found out um, from our researches, this was written quite a bit earlier, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I think it was first proposed in 1984. I think I saw um, a poster for it in 1987. But uh, for what I understand, McMahon was quite ill for a period, so there it sort of um, it led to a lot of delays with the publication of the of the of the book. But yeah, I mean, what they did, as you say, Wagner and Grant at this period were sort of trying to break into um, American comics. Wagner sort of backed off from it a little bit after doing some uh, some co-writing with uh, Grant on Batman. But um, I think I think everybody who's listened to this podcast knows that Grant went on to do um, The Demon, lots of Lobo, um, lots of Legion, 87, 88, 89, 90. And oh, I, I can't remember the refer of the books as well. I mean, this, this wasn't the end of Grant and Wagner's partnership, obviously, because you did um, in the mid-90s, I think, they did uh, Bob the Galactic Bum, if anybody remembers that. And, um, and of course, The Bogeyman. Yes. Which, again, is... Uh, it's a great book <laughs> or great books uh, Bogeyman will be coming up on the podcast hopefully not too long in, uh, in the future well let's pause just to mention a bit more about Alan Grant because we've had you know obviously since we arranged to do this book we had the sad news of his passing um, we've talked about him a little bit on this podcast, but I mean, one of the great comic book writers um, it, here, you know, in the UK, but also in America as well. An amazing legacy of stuff that he worked on. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he he was such a, an industrious 
writer, but so inventive as well. It was, it's interesting, actually, to compare the styles of Wagner and Grant. Wagner tends to be, I, I feel, Wagner tends to be a bit uh, steelier, I suppose, a bit grittier, Well, Grant sort of explores things a bit more spiritually, I suppose, particularly in his working with Anderson. Um, you know, Shambhala, funny enough, I, I recently reread that and stuff, things like Maze World and the like. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's great. I mean, um, it was, it was a tremendous shock. Mm. I mean, um, Grant, <laughs> I think anybody really forgives him for it, but we know that Alan Grant basically killed off Johnny Alpha after Wagner and Grant's partnership with it. And the publication of the final solution was quite higgledy piggledy, wasn't it? Mm. But you actually read it and it's an all go job just before. It's a it's a great story. It is actually generally a really good story. Um, I mean, you can argue, you know, and for for days on whether they should have resurrected um, Johnny, but it it was a very good story. Um, my, my personal favourite. I didn't read that much of his. I didn't read that much of his uh, Batman stuff. Um, but I did read my my favourite single story by Grant, Alan Grant. It's probably John Cassavetes is dead. Right. It's oh, a yes. Colin McNeil drawn black and white six pager in somebody will correct me. Six hundred and something. I can't remember where it was. It's around about that era. That period. Um but that yeah, that that was just a great story. It, it was one of those where it wasn't so much about dread, it was more about um the city and the effect the judges have on the city and particularly things like censorship and oppression, um, which um, I think they're both, um, both subjects very dear to Alan Grant's heart, very close to Alan Grant's heart. Yeah. I mean, you know, just an amazing talent, great at picking up, um, particularly I think picking up other people's characters and really sort of taking them to new and interesting places um, and we've said this on the podcast. He was also such a, a mentor and an inspiration to others. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, apart from the disagreements about the final solution story, we don't really hear a bad word anybody's got to say about him. You know, and him and John, you know, they, they made up after that. So um, amazing. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so this series we think was originally commissioned by Archie Goodwin, uh, the Marvel Epic editor, and who was going to edit it when it was um, touted in 1984. And I think it appeared in previews in 1984, um, but didn't, as I say, appear till 1990. And it's epic for Marvel was their line that allowed them to do new and different things. And here we have the subject of nuclear war, written, as you say, in the mid-1980s, five or six years before the end of the Cold War. And it's an amazing subject um, for popular well, for popular culture, for films, television, and for comics, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, uh, I, I, I mean, some of the things that, well, Wagner and Grant have already dealt with nuclear war with um, the Apocalypse War. Um, it's sort of and Strontium Dog, obviously, because the whole basis of Strontium Dog is via nuclear war. Um, but throughout that period, though, if you imagine the early 80s, I think, um, I mean, I've, I've never watched it because I remember talking about it as a, with my friends in, the, in school. Um, but Threads, 
um, things like the uh, the day after on TV and things like that. And I just remember being absolutely horrified and terrified about them. Mm. Um, and it it was just something that was always there. But it's 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 a it's a very popular it was a very popular topic in comics, isn't it? But not so much as a it's not it's not dealt this is, it's dealt with differently here because it, it is actually warts and all this comic whereas mainly when you see uh comics dealing with uh nuclear war it's it's to, to make them super futuristic or set up a scene or something like that uh i mean to take akira akira weirdly i believe is set in the same year as last american um and you know but that's post-apocalyptic to sort of like almost like draw a line under what was happening before and, and moving on. Whereas this is actually dealing with the effects of, of nuclear war, uh, the effects on the population, the effects on the environment and the effects on somebody's mental state. Um, so it's, it's not just so much the setting. It's actually about that specifically, if, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, it is. It's it, it's very interesting. I mean, you mentioned because we we swapped a few notes beforehand, and we mentioned a few things. Uh, Akira, obviously, um, you've already mentioned Strontium Dog, the Apocalypse War. V for Vendetta has it as a sort of it's already happened, and somehow Britain has managed to survive. And uh, but obviously, things have changed. Um, and all those films and television programs you mentioned. I mean, Threads will. Uh, will absolutely mess you up if you ever get a chance to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'll be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> quite terrifying. Um, I just, I just fascinated that you know it was such uh, a prevalent fear that it was reflected in our fiction, um, basically, and you know even in our comic books. And here we have the last American coming out of the bunker twenty years after the uh, the nuclear um, holocaust and heading out into America with these robots to look for survivors in his sort of I can't remember what the name of the the armored battle tank he's in it is, but he's oh I can't remember. Uh, yeah 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 he's got some super sort of radiation proof vehicle that you know that he lives in. Um, so yeah, amazing stuff. Okay, well let's just talk a little bit about Mick McMahon then. Who's you know, as we say, he'd done his early punky work on Judge Dredd. He's done his like his apprenticeship almost on Judge Dredd. Um, went away and came back two years later with his early slain stuff, which was just astonishing. The changes. Mm. Uh, I think this one. Obviously, this took him a while um, because he had some health issues and so on. What do you make of his artwork in The Last American? I think you've already said you think it's his, your favourite. Oh, completely. I mean, I, it's weird. I, I look at some of the panels and some of the pages and the, I can't really describe how it, how, how it's right. They, they look they, that they have movement. Nothing static. No, none of the characters are static. Although obviously, clearly they are. They look animated. Um, the whole thing, the atmosphere, is amazing. It's really haunting. And in places, particularly in the early, in some of the early pages and and the, and the first two chapters, it's it's actually quite unsettling because of his use of color, his use of um, his and the way he draws his characters. Yeah, it's particularly affecting in the in the first issue. It's a bit more somber than the, than the latter two because the, 
the tone of the of the comic changes slightly in the last two issues. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's sort of a midpoint between I my my Mick McMahon. I mean, if you compare his dread to his BBC Warriors and his Robusters to, like you say, his sling, which is he's just broken. And then this work, and then the work he's doing now, you can you can sort of see the, you can sort of see the development. But they they do look like very different artists. But this looks like a midpoint between that slain work, that scratchy slain work, which looks like he's painted with a or drawn with a, at uh, the end of a stick. And 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 that's not a criticism. That it's just it's just an amazing effect. And the more uh, slightly surreal and cubist thing, uh, cubist work he did in the Howler. And then the more slightly more cartoony work he does later on, which we're more familiar with, with the the few 2000 AD covers and stuff, it does lately, and some of the uh, storyboarding work he's doing. He's doing some work for video games as well. Mm. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's, I mean, he's, he's one of a kind, isn't he? He is one of a kind. And as I say, as you say, I think this is um, some very interesting Mike McMahon uh, artwork. He's got that... What are the things I've noticed? I notice that there's the sort of post-apocalyptic landscape, so we get some quite a few sort of you know radiation bleached trees that quite they're quite slainy. The trees, I think, you can see that the stuff he did from slain in the trees, and then we got the character, you know, the last American himself, um, Ulysses Pilgrim, who is. He's almost got the 90s pouches and ammo belts um, before yeah. they became a thing in Image Comics. But he's also yeah, got, yeah. you know, he's got a signature sort of Mike McMahon, big nose, long face. He's big boots. And also he does that thing that Mike McMahon does where the characters almost seem like they're adopting strange contortion positions as almost if they're trying to fit in to the panel. Um, he does these weird sort of angular movements, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. But for some, for some reason or other, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't sound like that would make for, for some, something really um, for excellent work, but it is. If you actually look at it, he carries it off incredibly well and it's, storytelling is amazing yeah absolutely amazing i mean i love the robots uh particularly charlie uh the vehicle design is good um it's very mike mcmahon you know you look at it and you instantly recognize it um i wonder how this did with the american audience because Obviously, in the late 80s and into the 90s, the Americans were getting used to the idea of British artists and writers coming over. But this is, this, this still looks to me something very distinctively British uh, about the artwork and something slightly unusual about it that may not have quite worked for an American audience. I don't know how well it sold, um, although I no. know. I know it's very well remembered by a lot of people, including yourself, obviously. Yeah, yeah. No, I say, I, well, it, there was never a sequel. No. Um, which is a good thing for me because this is four issues. This is done. Um, you, you, you don't need anything else. Um, I mean, again, 
it, he he isn't he isn't a traditional comic artist, but he has. I mean, he's done he has done quite a lot of work, other work for um, America. Of course, he's done he's done some Hellboy. He did um, some. I've never picked this up actually. He's done. He did a couple of issues of Legends of the Dark Knight. Um, he did it with Chuck Dixon. There's a series called um, a short run called Citadel. And then I think it was Citadel. And he did a run on um, Alien Legion, which, to be honest, would probably suit him because it's he's he can he can do weird very well, obviously. Yeah. Um. So you know, a bunch of aliens is obviously going to be good. And then I remember he did. Uh, I got it. Up. I've got it in one of my long boxes. He did a series with um, Keith Given and, and, and Alan Grant um, called Tattered Banners. And that that is just, from memory, I haven't read it for a while, but that was just a little bit mental. Right. That's very surreal. That was. And that lent itself very, his artwork lent itself very well to that because of his, he, he approaches things slightly obliquely. He is, he, he is occasionally surreal. But this, this is, um, it's a very distinctive style, but as you say, it's it's it also seems very it's also very realistic. For some reason or another, you can immerse yourself in in it. It's great artwork. It's coloured, of course, and I guess you know um, Archie Goodwin would have said it's got to be coloured for the American art uh, market. Um, unusual to see Mike sort of colouring his own work at this stage. We're sort of like more familiar with him from obviously the black and white of 2000 AD. What do you make of the colours? And also, what do you make of the reproduction of them in this edition? The, the colours in the, in the original series, um, I'm probably going to get shot down here, but the colours in the original series are amazing. Like I say, they're incredibly atmospheric. The lighting, everything's dark almost everything has like a red sooty haze over it um obviously because of from, from the fallout he's obviously thought long and hard about um his palette here um it, it's a, it's amazing work the, the the thing i found a little bit disappointing with this with, the, with this particular edition the rebellion one was that particularly in the first couple of pages i felt that the the colour reproduction isn't great. It's just a little bit dark, or at least it certainly is in my copy, um, which is a shame because, and then it, it goes a little bit funny a couple of pages in, it goes a bit too light. Um, but for the rest of the book, it's it's great. And, and, and particularly because it's a, I, I'm sure I'm not the only guy like this, I'm a sucker for an oversized hardback. Yeah. So because it's an oversized hardback, you can actually spend a bit more time pouring over the details rather than you would a normal US American comic size book. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a lovely looking book. Other than that, it's, it's, it's great. Um, yeah, his, like you say, I hadn't thought about it before. Um, cause the only other time thing I think I saw his color work was in Mutomaniac in Toxic. I think that was the next time I saw his color work. Um, but yeah, you don't, Unless unless you're doing American comics, obviously, you, he, I think it's better that he colours his own work, and it, that is that's that's a total force, I think. Mm. I mean, I'm looking at the pages where he um, Pilgrim first steps out of the bunker into the uh, nuclear in the radiated sort of hellscape, and yeah. 
the, I mean, the first thing to say is that the colour work, the, you know, the, 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 the red skies and the, mm. the landscape is fantastic. It is noticeably darker in the most recent Rebellion collection. Um, my epic first issue is printed on glossy paper, but I suppose they do fade a little bit, so it's, there might be some of it. Um, but, yeah, okay, interesting comparisons. I mean, it is just, it is stunning Mick McMahon artwork throughout, really. It's, a, you know, four pages. I mean, obviously it took him a while, but the, the re- end result is so impressive. Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely brilliant work. Now, I know if we go back to the writing and go back to John and Alan for a moment, I think, um, I, you know, I probably should have spotted this while I was reading it, but I gather that John wrote the first two issues and Alan wrote the last two. Um, yes. can, can you spot the cha- you know, the changes yourself? Well, when I originally read this, I just assumed it was John, uh, John and Alan writing it together all the way through. It's only when... It's only when I suppose that somebody pointed that it was mentioned that they they'd split the chores as it were that you can there is a slight change in tone in the last two issues it's it's more positive slightly less gritty there's a little bit of hope coming out in into this world and um, Alan brings in some other characters and some sort of slightly surreal situations. Um, and I, yeah, and I, and I, I think, I think you can, but I'm not sure whether that is because I've been told it changes now, and I just sort of, almost, um, I don't know, persuaded myself that I can, I can tell the difference. Hmm. Uh, but previously, I couldn't. I mean, there's, um, I think in, in in the notes we've been exchanging, you uh, mentioned about the um, John Wagner sing, sing songs. <laughs> <laughs> And um, and Grant does that as well, and, the, and Alan does that in the in the last two issues as well. They're typical John Wagner and Alan Grant songs halfway through uh, some of the scripts. The second issue, um, without giving too many spoilers, let's say that there are other, apart from the three robots and Pilgrim, there are other characters in the second issue, but it's not. Uh, what could we say? They're sort of they're let's say they're sort of fantasy, um, surreal characters, yeah, yeah. and they do a yeah. musical number which is very John Wagner <laughs> that he cannot oh, yeah, he cannot resist <laughs> singing in comics. Um, uh, I noted that, and again, it allows Mick McMahon to do some wonderful character designs on some new, different characters and some very out there colouring choices on those as well. Um, but I did like, you know, for the writing, I did like the use of uh, other bits of popular culture in the writing. Like they use Simon and Garfunkel's um, song America um, as, you know, which is appropriate for a character who's going out to look for America, literally. Mm-hmm. And they use some other bits and pieces of speeches and so on, I think, at various points. Uh, there are other sort of surreal fantasy characters like former presidents of the United States turn up at a later t- uh, later point. So I liked all that. I thought that, that the use of bits of well-known speeches and popular culture and adverts for Duck and Cover and Protect and Survive, I thought that stuff was really good in, in terms of the writing. Yeah, it all, it all makes up um, a bigger patchwork, isn't it? Because you, you would imagine... Um, this is this is what I'm a bit, not concerned about, but this is what I'm sort of conscious of. 
that we're talking about this and we're talking about one guy and three robots. It doesn't sound that exciting. Yeah. But basically, it's 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 more than that. It's it, there is a there's a lot of commentary. They use a lot of um, they, they yeah they, they use a lot of um, historical figures. They use a lot of pop culture figures, as you say, the the sort of protect and survive the protect and survive characters from the fifties and sixties, which obviously John may have known that may have been brought up with when he was living in America as a child. Um, but they're using that to, um, I don't know. It, yeah. Using that to sort of common uh, comment on um, how they got there, basically how the, the, the effects of nuclear war, um, <laughs> what basically you don't have to read too much into it to, to sort of say that they, they they sound certainly that they were anti anti nuclear. Yeah, so it all sort of blends into a sort of like a, like like a big pot and just just makes it compelling, I suppose. And you mentioned the robots. Um, obviously, Alpha and Bravo, as you say, mainly communicate with Charlie, and Charlie is the one who mostly speaks to Pilgrim. And Charlie has spent the twenty years. While he's been, you know, he's been hibernating in the bunker. Charlie's spent the twenty years basically buffing up on popular culture. Um, mm-hmm. Again, a bit like Wall-E in, the, in, the, in that the Pixar movie. He's a sort of big oh, fan yeah. of uh, of films and musicals, and he sort of like he, an advert, and he relays a lot of this stuff to Pilgrim through that, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they, they are. Um, I'm trying to think. It does remind me of. Another set of robots, which basically he just, um, Charlie will come out with adverts that he's watched, or he'll come out with um, taglines from um, particular brands and that sort of stuff as he's going along, which, which, which again makes him slightly quirky and slightly eccentric. Um, basically, the three robots, well, particularly the three robots remind me a little bit of um, any of the other Wagner and Grant robots, but particularly the ones that you turn up in Robo Hunter. Oh right, um, yes. In their, in their in their characters, for some reason, the ones they really remind me of are the three robots in Silent Running, and I'm not quite sure why. But it's possibly because it's it's the same sort of um, chap, isolated, nobody else around him. It's the apocalypse and that sort of thing. We've destroyed um, the Earth. There's the yes, one there's exactly, Bruce Stearns yeah. <laughs> up in space with uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Um, yeah. yeah. And the other trio they reminded me of, of course, was Snap, Crackle and Pop from Dread and later on from Origins. Um, oh, the ones who looked after um, Booth. Bad Bob um, Booth, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, Wagner and Grant have had some practice at this point of writing comedy robots for uh, mm. <laughs> various titles. And here they, they, uh, they do the same again. I, I, yeah, again, I loved uh, Charlie and his interactions with Pilgrim. Um, fantastic stuff, and yeah, he you know Mick McMahon gets to draw some robots, and that's great as well. Um, alongside Pilgrim pulling on his uniform and getting out there and going to look for America. So, Luke, on my paperback cover, I've got a quote from from book clubber Garth Ennis, no less, who says, oh, yeah. "For me, this is one of the very best comic books ever published." So. Would you agree with him on that estimation of this book? Yeah, I, I, I generally don't think he's far wrong with that. I, I think it, I think it's a fantastic book. 
as I said at the start, it's 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 definitely one of the best things that the three of them have have ever have ever done. And for me, um, it's self-contained. Uh, I've got this thing about unnecessary sequels, and this this didn't need it. This is done. It end, It actually ends very well, I think, with, without giving anything away. I think it ends very, very well. And it, 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 it's actually not, not a depressing ending. But yes, certainly, it's, it's, it is one of the a, absolutely great book. I'm so pleased yeah, that... I recommend it. I recommend it to anybody. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I'm so pleased that Rebellion uh, put it out, published it. And I hopefully, as you say, that John Wagner and Mike got some, uh, some you know... Um, got paid for it again because you know yeah. it, it, it's a, a very well appreciated book I'm not sure how well it sold at the time but obviously it had been reprinted a few times since and it's nice to be able to get it now that it's easy to get hold of um, I should say that the paperback is still available from the web store for fifteen ninety nine. You can probably get it from your local shop uh, or bookshop or comic shop. It's also nine ninety nine digitally as well. But you and I have both got hard copies. You've got the hardback. I've got the uh, the paperback. Um, in the back as well, you've mentioned you've got a Mike McMahon introduction at the front where he talks a little bit about the sort of nuclear paranoia of those uh, growing up in the 70s and early 80s. Um, he mentions the film, the Peter Watkins mm-hmm. BBC film, The War Game, which is also is uh, will terrify you. I don't know if you... Oh. Have you ever come across that one? Ah, oh, it does ring a bell, yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you, I always used to avoid things like that because they uh, give me nightmares. Yes. Well, that's the one that the <laughs> BBC commissioned in the 60s and then were so upset by it that they put it on the shelf for 20 years and didn't show it. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. In well, the back of the... In the back of the book, we have got some extra material. We've got the covers for the original four issues from Epic. We've yeah. got a couple... We've got a... a uh, a couple of covers that Mike McMahon did for the comics uh, COMX uh, collection and then for this collection um, mm-hmm. there was a piece he did for a UCAC 1987 convention booklet and then I just want to shout out and say there's a private commission he did for friend of the book club uh, Ian Snell um, of Pilgrim and Charlie, which is in black and white and is also incredibly beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I won't I won't choose it as a grail page for me because Ian owns it. So, <laughs> so <laughs> nice to have some extras in there as well to have all the extra material. I don't know if there's anything else in the in the hardback apart from the limited edition print that you got with it. No, no, that, that, that's it. I mean, there's little bios of Magna uh, Grant McMahon in the back. Um, no, that's it. Basically, it's a like I say. To be honest, it's it's a it's a lovely book to have in your shelf if you can if you can manage to source a hardback from uh, certain auction sites or something. It's it's a cracking book. I'm so glad I bought it. Yes, and I'm so glad that I finally managed to get a copy and get to do it on the book club and get to talk about it because it's one that had been on my list for ages that I must catch up with that because I hear so many people talking about it. Somehow I missed this one when it came out in 1991. I think I was having one of my comic gaps at the time. So yeah, delightful. So let's let's give you the artwork to look at again Luke and go back and play Grail Pages with The Last American and Mike McMahon's spectacular um, 
work in colour and in some black and white at the back. Uh, the only one I'm going to say is off limits is Ian Snell's because I'm going to leave that one with him. <laughs> but anything else that's in here, you can have your choice of. What are you going to pick? I think it would be the page after the title page on the first issue. So where it says uh, The Last American Goodnight Poughkeepsie. Yeah. I can never say Poughkeepsie. Um, and then the, fo- the following page, then you have, um, it's almost like a two-third page of um, Charlie and Ulysses. Uh, uh, Ulysses is saying some sky, and then there's a couple of panels underneath. Um, I, I, I've gone through the book, and there's, there's a few others, but I'd like to have had all four of them in it, but that's a fantastic page. Love that page. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, as you say, the first page after the title page of issue one, um, and it has got that beautiful half-page panel of Ulysses Pilgrim and Charlie Robot, um, and it's got Mike McMahon's skies, got some ruined trees in the background. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. Um and I suspect I might also give you the one page before it to go with it as well, where they come out of the bunker. Thank you very Because they're fantastic. Great. Yeah, they are. Um, Annie, I, I will say that that was going to be my pick as well. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's no, all right. Those are the rules. Guests go first. Um, what about the covers? Any of the covers that grab your fancy? Um, uh, issue. See, I actually quite like the first two issues are my favourite ones, probably. Um, the first issue is obviously just Ulysses standing there, just staring out at the camera, grenade in one hand, gun in the other. The second issue is um, it's quite comical. It's the it's a skeletal baseball player, um, which will give you it gives you some sort of hint of what actually is in the, is in issue two. Um, I, I'd go for I'd go for issue one again purely because it's Ulysses, but the other. The, the remaining issues, the, the the final one is Ulysses again with um, Abel and Baker in the background. Um, but the issue three has got, uh, uh, I think it's a spoiler to say it's it's some of the some of the US presidents. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely, I think I'd go for issue one personally. Okay, cool. I was tempted to pick the very last page of the book, the story. Um, which oh, yeah, has yeah. Pilgrim and the American flag almost stepping out of the page towards us mm. um, while the, the words of the Star Spangled Bar- Banner uh, play out in a panel. It, I suppose it could be slightly spoilerish, um, so I won't post that one, but I will, I will probably then pick the new cover that Mike did for this new uh, 2017 collection. I'll choose that as my grail page. Um, oh, yeah. That's good. And that might have been was that the print? Um, it's I think, uh, oh, it's upstairs. All right. <laughs> I think I think it was. Yeah, I think it, it was a print. It's yeah. certainly in the back of the book as well, without the uh, the title and the uh, the pull quotes and everything on the front. So you can have. I will pick that one, and I, as ever. I will post these images on all the socials when the in the week after this episode comes out, and they become virtually yours in the uh, NFT Mega City Book Club Art Gallery. Thank you very much. <laughs> I guess I mean, as you say, it's one of your favourite books by these creators. I guess what we're going to say to people is, if they've never tried The Last American, they really should get hold of this paperback or the digital version, shouldn't they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's 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 worth it if you if 
you like Wagner and Grant, particularly if you like McMahon, it's yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you can't miss it. Really, it's 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 a it's a great book, and I. Well, it's 30 odd years old now, and I, I do, apart from just for this, I, I will go back and read it occasionally again. It's, it's a, and probably if they release another edition of it, I'll probably buy another one as well. It's, it's, it is a great book. It's not, I haven't just double dipped, I triple dipped. It's not quadruple dipped if you include Meltdown. Okay. Yeah, you've got all possible versions <laughs> <Definitely>. of it. <laughs> yeah. And if we're recommending movies, we'll probably say that The War Game and Threads are a bit, maybe a bit too much, but uh, Silent Running is a beautiful film um, with some great mm. robots in it. Yes. Yeah, indeed it is. Have a hanky ready, though. Yes, you will need a hanky ready, yes. Um, <laughs> spoilers, yes. Oh, great stuff, Luke. Now, last time I think you were on uh you were writing for the ecbt 2000 ad site um are you still writing for them or are you because i know you're now writing for down the tubes as well aren't you yeah um yeah i i, I write i write for I, I actually contribute to three sites oh um, right yeah because yeah yeah because i i, I it depends on what I'm going to write, and then I'll 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 basically offer it to, to to them. So I haven't written for ECBT for ages. I should really get back on it. Um, I've got ideas that I'd like to sort of um, to to do for it. So there's a couple of retro 2000 reviews I've got, I've got planned. Uh, I was hoping to do a potted history of Devlin War because um, the last one I did there was Bad Company uh, and some other um, some other odds and sods. Um, but what I'm finding is I'm sure everybody else experiences this. You've got great plans, but of course, sort of real life gets in the way. Um, as you said, I've, I've also worked for um, Down on the Tubes. I, I tend to sort of stay away from 2008, only stuff from Down on the Tubes. Now I'll do some other quirky things. Either um, I'll suggest to John Freeman, um, I'll, I'll have bought a book that's not a 2008 book, and I'll um, ask him if I can if I can write about it. So recently I've done the latest Black Sad volume. Oh, right, yes. I hear Which lots is, of good things about that. Oh, Black Sad, Black Sad's amazing. Black Sad's really good spoilers, sorry. Um, but um, recently I published, as we're on a Wagner and Grant tip, um, recently I've written a review of the Chronicles of Genghis Grimtoad. Yes. Which was, which is just a great story. Uh, and it's a lovely... European-sized Marvel UK album now, but originally um, it was published in an anthology anthology series, anthology comic in the early 90s called Strip, which is edited by Dan Abnett. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great comic. If you can pick that up, I'd recommend it. There's also a bit of interesting history behind Genghis Grimtoad, but if you look on down the tubes and Google Genghis Grimtoad, you'll find all about it there. Um, but I also, um, again, occasionally haven't done it for a while, I also write for uh, Comic Scene. So I'll do some, again, some sort of 2008 related stuff for Comic Scene. And I've done, and again, I've done things for a while, uh, could find the time, but I've done things like um, we when the 2008 Ultimate Collection, which seems to be going on and on and on and on, um, reached its about its midpoint, or its, or its first midpoint anyway, I um, I wrote a sort of a summary of it up until then. I wrote an article on Slain. I've done some reviews on things like Firekind, which is John Smith and Paul Marshall, another one of my favourite books. Um, 
Revere, things like that. That goes up in there. So I sort of scattered myself a little bit. Um, to be honest with you, I'm just very grateful that these guys, and, and they include you actually as well, in that you find the time to sort of run these sites. And all I can do is just sort of contribute to them. Um, I really don't understand how people find the time. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to um, Flint and Richard McAuliffe, who used to be on um, ECBT, uh, John Freeman and Tony Foster from Comic Scene to, to, for, for posting my, my ramblings. Um, like I say, I'm always amazed that you, that you and those guys can keep um, those sites going. There's discipline and uh, um, being so uh, just, just keen, obviously loving what you're doing. More luck than judgment on my part, I'm afraid. But <laughs> Anyway, you're very welcome. And I will post links to all of your writings in the show notes for this episode, particularly to that um, Genghis Grimtoad article that you've done recently. And yes, I've forgotten that you write for Comic Scene and the, uh, the History of Comics um, stuff as well. Yeah, I've done, I've done stuff. Yeah, I haven't done things for a while. Um, but yeah, well, I, I really want to sort of back into it now. Okay. Excellent stuff. Right. Well, Luke, thank you so much again for giving up your time. Um, no. We've got through the technical problems. We've got through uh, the post-apocalyptic landscape of America in The Last American. Um, fascinating book and really, you know, as you say, four issues, one and done. Uh, it's a great read, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I, can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. Basically, if you're a 2008 fan, what's not to like? Yeah, absolutely. And I look forward to finding out what you're going to pick to come back on in a year or so. Yeah, okay. Thanks, thanks, everyone. Thanks so much. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, uh, find all the links, including links to all of Luke's writing at megacitybookclub.com. Uh, find us on all the socials where the, the Grail pages we've chosen will be posted after this episode comes out. Uh, we're also on the 2080 forums and you can email me mcbcpodcast at gmail.com if you've got any comments or suggestions if you've read The Last American um, uh, or if you've got a book of your own that you want to come on and discuss so until next time when we're passing judgment on another great book uh, from me it's a goodbye from me and ta from me thanks so much Bye.